Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson. <laughs> and I'm Dean Jeffrey, a fellow patron saint of mediocrity. And today we'll be breaking down the Best Picture winner, Amadeus. So Amadeus, released in 1984, directed by Milos Forman and adapted by Peter Schaefer from his 1979 stage play, Amadeus. It's about the life, success and troubles of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, as told by Antonio Salieri, the contemporaneous composer who was insanely jealous of Mozart's talent and claimed to have murdered him. The film stars F. Murray Abraham, Tom Holch, Elizabeth Berridge, Roy Dotris, Simon Callow, Christine Ebersole and Jeffrey Jones. So, Milos Forman, Dean, do you know this guy? No, the only Milos I know is from Seinfeld. Yeah, I can't remember that. I believe he's the tennis instructor who can't play tennis. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Milos Forman, he has got three Academy Award nominations. Nice. He's won two. One of them was for this, and the other one was for his work on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Nice, classic. He also got nominated for The People vs. Larry Flint, a film I have not seen. I have seen it. I uh, didn't think much of it when I saw it, but I was pretty young. When you say nominated, like that was nominated for Best Director, was it? Yeah. Wow. Mm. There you go. Cinematography by Miroslav Andrikic, who has got two nominations, one for Amadeus and one for a film called Ragtime, which I have not heard of or seen. I'm with you, Hendo. All right. We've got a couple of uh, casting choices here for the role of Mozart. We had Tim Curry and Mark Hamill both audition for this film. They actually played Mozart on Broadway as well. I mean, they would fit perfectly. They would have been good. Originally, it was a very young Kenneth Branagh who was cast as Mozart, but Milos Forman changed his mind and decided to go with American actors for the principal roles. Which is a little odd, isn't it? Well, he insisted that the lead actors retain their American accents so that they could concentrate on their characters and performance instead. So it didn't really matter about their ethnicity or uh, accent in the end anyway. Yeah, but, you know, they want, they want, the director wants them to focus on their character. Wouldn't they be able to get more into character if they had, you know... Italian accents? No, because I think they'd be, like you said, they'd be more trying to focus on getting that accent right as opposed to just being like a normal actor and focusing on the characteristics of the characters or, you know, things like that. I mean, a lot of people do accents in film. It's not like they're terrible. But there are some people who do terrible accents out there. Then don't hire those people. So there's obviously a lot of classical music being played throughout this film. A lot of piano, Dean. You you play the piano, don't you, mate? I did play the piano, yes. Who did? I mean, I have a piano. It's been a while since I played it. But yes, I played uh, piano for, uh, Jesus, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, you know, weekly lessons, all the grading, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. Could you bust out some Mozart? I have played Mozart, sure. What about some Salieri? <laughs> no, can't say I've ever <laughs> heard of Salieri. <laughs> <laughs> so how they did it for this film was the music was pre-recorded and played in the background as scenes were filmed. They actually had Tom Holt, I think... Is it Tom Holche? Holche? H-U-L-C-E. How would you say that? Holche. Holche. Let's go Holche. Tom Holche only knew how to play the guitar before shooting the film. And Milos Foreman said that they could cheat it, but it would be good if he learned how to play the piano. So he spent six hours a day for six months learning how to play the piano and every Mozart symphony that was in the film. I mean, I assume he had a teacher with him this time, yeah? I imagine he did. I don't think he just learnt it on the fly back in the 80s. Yeah, that's... That's a lot of piano. He must have hated piano by the end of that. Or maybe he loved it so much. Maybe he still plays it today. Uh Uh-uh. No? Talking from experience? I don't don't buy it. (laughs) 
So the entire film was shot with natural light. They, In order to get the proper diffusion of light for some scenes, the DPs covered windows from the outside with tracing paper. Yeah, it's funny. I did think watching it that it, it was natural light, but I thought, nah, they wouldn't just copy Barry Lyndon that much, would they? No, this is very, very much like Barry Lyndon in its, uh, yeah. Yeah, in its, uh, in its scale and its setting as well. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because Barry Lyndon's really good. It is good. But this was released on the 6th of September in 1984, with a runtime of 160 minutes, or 180 for the director's cut, which is the version that you and I watched, wasn't it, Dean? Yes, we are suckers for punishment, Hendo. Oh, don't be like that. <laughs> it's fucking long. <laughs> oh, what's, what's another 20 minutes? Come on. I mean, this movie probably took me four and a half hours to watch. <laughs> I mean, I think we've been pretty burnt recently on not watching director's cuts. I mean, we watched the theatrical cut of Alien 3, which is awful, but apparently the director's cut, or the, sorry, the assembly cut is supposed to be a lot better. And even with Cinema Paradiso, after we read up that the director's cut had a you know, pretty key scene that would have been really good to you know think about, we didn't actually watch that one. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Director's cuts, who knows? I mean, it's hard because, so you've, I mean, we've both seen this before. I don't know about you, but I had very little memory of it. Uh, but there's no way I would be able to pick what's different or what's added in this. Do you have any idea of the additional scenes? I do. I really do. Okay. Tagline, everything you've heard is true. It's incredibly generic. I actually saw a different tagline. Is it the man, the myth, the legend? Yeah. Yeah. That both of those are on the poster. Okay, maybe everything you've heard is true is more of like a a critic review sort of thing. No. Like everything you've heard about this movie is true. No, it's not that. It's everything you've heard about Amadeus is true, essentially. Which is weird because there's a lot of stuff in this film that factually isn't true. Also, who has heard anything about Mozart? <laughs> is he the one that got his ear cut off? <laughs> Mo who? <laughs> Zart. Zart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, could, I I remember I saw Last Action Hero before I'd seen this, so I never, ever got that joke. Yeah. And then when I finally watched this and understood it, I oh, loved it. All right, budget of $18 million and worldwide grossed $52 million. Nice. Successful, you know. Probably one of the, the lower or the least successful uh, Best Picture winners. It's pretty funny you say that because I remember when we did No Country for Old Men, when that grossed, uh, I think it was like 170, you're like, that's probably one of the biggest best picture winners to gross. Turned out it's like second last. Really? Oh, I mean, it's it's in the, like, the bottom last. 10. Second last? Yeah, it's in the bottom, it's like in the bottom 10. From what decade? Like, there's no way. Like, All of them. For inflation. Yeah, I mean, you look at other best picture winners, like, uh, fuck, did Titanic win? Yeah, yes. yeah, like Titanic. Did Titanic win best picture? I had to think what about it. What the fuck? <laughs> Mr. Trivia got over here. Did Titanic did win it? best picture? Oh, can I phone a friend? <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. All right, we are talking about the Oscars here. This got nominated for 11 Oscars that year. It was nominated for three that didn't win. It was nominated for best actor for Tom Holche. Holche. Holche, which he lost to, we'll get to that in a minute. It lost best cinematography to The Killing Fields. And it lost Best Film Editing, which it lost to The Killing Fields. But it did win eight that year. It was it won Best Makeup, Best Sound, Best Costume Design, Best Art Direction in the Set Decoration category, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Director for Milos Foreman, Best Actor for F. Murray Abraham, and Best Picture. Yeah, I mean, so, like, you look at sound, costume, makeup, like, all this stuff is just so obviously, like, hey, Oscars, look at me. <laughs> hmm. yeah, I, honestly, even Adapted Screenplay, like... You, you, you listen to what these people are talking about and how 
I guess smart it is. And it's like, yeah, yeah I can see that this this got this won the award for you know best writing. Basically, mm. this was only one of four productions to also win both the Tony Award for best play and the best picture. The other three were My Fair Lady, The Sound of Music, and A Man for All Seasons. Hmm. All right, let's look at some scores here, Dean. What do you reckon, critics or audience? Uh, critics. No, it is the audience. Critics have it at ninety three percent, and the audience have it at ninety five. Jesus, that's so high. Metacritic have it at eighty eight percent. Ah, that's better. <laughs> Letterbox have it at four point two. But let's take a look at the history of Amadeus in the IMDb Top Two Fifty list. This debuted onto the very first list on the twenty sixth of April in nineteen ninety six. It has never left the list. The lowest point it ever got to was number one hundred nine, about a year after its debut in there. It peaked at number 37 a year later, and then since then it has hovered around that 50 to 100 mark to where it currently sits right now at number 83 with an 8.3 over 363,000 votes. Very impressive. All right, Dean. Obviously, we're going to be spoiling this film. It is a breakdown, of course. Let's get into it. So we start off here with Salieri basically screaming out to the gods, uh, basically for trying to get them to forgive him for killing Mozart. Yeah, it's pretty... Uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I think it's a really slow start. Uh, I I was not a fan of this uh, opening here. Although I did like the very loud, like orchestral, like music note to just mm. start off, like so, so like, hey, here we are, here we yeah, are. Let's, there's a lot of that in this film. That boom, like, all right, we're into it. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, this this guy screaming about Mozart, and then we get the the train guy from Ghost. You never forget that face. Yeah, I. I... I don't know where I know him from, but I've seen that face before, and I'm like, yeah, I, I can, I can't pinpoint where I know you, but I've definitely seen you before. Get off my train. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got the, these, yeah, like we're saying, these two slobs here. The guy's licking the stuff out of the glass. That's gross. Oh yeah, what are these people doing? Like they're treating him like he's a child. Honestly, I thought, like I know this guy's saying I killed Mozart. I killed. I thought, is this Mozart in here? Like why? Are they treating this guy like he's a child? Like, ooh, this is so yum. I'm going to eat it all. I was like, what? Who is this guy? Is this like some, you know, food deviant? <laughs> and if they have to coerce him to come out of his room or something for this, maybe not have him give him a room that has a lock on the inside, perhaps? Yeah. I mean, who knows? No, but they have to burst in because uh, he's uh, slit his throat here. Yeah, with, you know, your standard 80s bright red blood. <laughs> Looks ridiculous, but yeah. It's not exactly violent, this scene, is it? For a slit throat suicide attempt. Nah, nah it's kind of just like, yeah, a redneck. Yeah. But they're carting old Salieri through the snowy night here while you've got some classical music playing. I mean, it's always going to be classical music in this film. Obviously, this there's no original score to this film. It's just all awesome Mozart music. Awesome Mozart music. So you you enjoy the works of Mozart? I like it in regards to the the tone of what they're setting for this film. It plays very well. Like I'm probably not going to go out, you know, buy a Mozart album and listen to it while I'm going for a run because you don't go for a run. I was going to say it would imply I'd have to start running. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, this priest here walking through this area. I mean, is this a hospital? Is this like an insane asylum? Where it is feels this guy? like it. This like, guy, yeah, he's probably been committed because he tried to kill himself. Yeah, this this area is is nasty stuff. I do like the character of this priest here because he's like the audience listening to this story. You know, like he is. Yeah, he's us hearing it from Salieri, and he barely says anything. Like he's such a quiet uh, observer here. I it's, mean, what does he have to say? He, he like we we want to hear this guy's story. Yeah. 
I did see that F. Murray Abraham was in the makeup chair for about four and a half hours every day. He had to play the old Salieri. I mean, he is unrecognizable. Even knowing it's F. Murray mm. Abraham, it, you like you've really got to look for him under all that makeup. Oh yeah, absolutely. they did a good job. Maybe too good. Like maybe he doesn't look enough like F. Murray Abraham. Oh, I mean, I don't think it's fine. I think I, I get F. Murray Abraham confused with Jonathan Hyde. And I honestly thought that this father guy was like a young Jonathan Hyde. Do you know who Jonathan Hyde is? No. He is Robin Williams' dad in Jumanji. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Someone else was saying that to me. They thought that guy was F. Murray Abraham. That's crazy. Huh? <laughs> I just think they look alike. Okay. I don't see it, to be honest. Well, fair I, enough. I, like, F. Murray Abraham has, like, bad skin. Uh, yeah, Robin Williams' dad in Jumanji's got very nice skin. Oh, calm down. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love the look he gives to the father when he doesn't recognize his music. Oh, it's so good. It's him, yeah. him saying like, oh, I'm this composer, Salieri. Do you know this song? No. This song? No. Oh, what about this one? Oh, yes. And he starts, the priest gets so excited. <laughs> he starts singing along and all that stuff. And it's just like, that's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> this, this film was nominated for best editing. Uh, I feel like it should have won. I think some of the editing transitions in this film are like spot on. Like the transition here from when you go from old Salieri to young Salieri, like how, like as he's about to start conducting the song, it yeah. transitions smoothly. Yeah. I mean, you know, have you seen The Killing Fields? I haven't. You were correct on that, Dean, yes. Of course I was. That's why I said it. Um, yeah, I mean- Yeah, so convincingly. Know, that could be stunning editing as well. Well, it must have been at one. There you go. Can't wait to see that cinematography in The Killing Fields. I'm sure it's a great film. It's funny, I was looking at the other nominees from this uh, year for Best Picture. I Like, I'd heard of The Killing Fields, and I had not heard of the others. <laughs> I hadn't heard of any of any four, of all four of them. I don't even know what The Killing Fields is. You haven't heard of The Killing Fields? I've heard of it now when I looked up my research. I mean, is that... I'm just looking it up now. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, I think I know the poster more than I know anything about it. Yeah, I reckon that would be a good film to watch, honestly. Well, you let me know how it is. John Malkovich is in it. <laughs> Why don't we go back to this team? Let's let's look at uh, Mozart playing blindfolded like a boss. Like a boss. Yeah, the kid. <laughs> the kid Mozart. Yeah. The prodigy. He's just, he's just gifted from the start. Yeah. Like Salieri says, like he, you know, he was, he wrote his first symphony when he was 12. Like he, you know, he just knew what to do from the get-go. He just, he never had an issue. No, nah, and I like here that he says, you know, I was so jealous, not of Mozart, but of his father who taught him everything. And then we cut to his father, the slob. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but even his reasoning, he's like, I'm not going to cart you around, you know, the world like some monkey just like, you know, performing tricks for everyone. It's like, uh, okay. I mean, I kind of understand, but see, oh, like, I maybe- I fully understand. Then- like, Mozart's dad is literally doing that. Like, I-, I read that he would actually lie about how old his kid is to make it even more impressive. <laughs> like what they do when they have like 25-year-olds play teenagers in, in movies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what like that. Yeah. There is a bit there is some comedy to this film. Like it's not all serious drama. Like this part here when he's praying to the, he's praying to God, like, make me a great composer. What do I, whatever I have to do. And he's like, and then a miracle. And it's like his father's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of the uh best thing about this film is its sense of humor. Yeah. Like there are some there are multiple funny moments in this film. If and the music plays dry- so well to it as well. Yeah, if this was a dry drama about, you know, this classical composer, I mean, it would struggle. Like, you need entertainment in this film. Absolutely. We definitely get it here. 
Uh, but we do we do learn a fair bit about Salieri here when he is praying about what matters most to him. And, like, he doesn't just say, like, make me a great composer. He wants to be famous. Like, he is a very proud and even vain character here. Vain, yeah, I completely agree. Like, the stuff he does throughout this film is definitely, uh, you can tell how vain this guy is. And he offers him complete chastity. Yes. Maybe he didn't need to. I mean, it wasn't enough. Maybe he needs to offer more. I mean, can we, we should probably just touch on now that this film is not a true story. Of course not. Like, I'm not sure. I did a little bit of reading, but like this guy here, Salieri, he had a wife and kid. Like this, <laughs> there are a number of liberties that were taken with this film. I mean, isn't that true for like every true story no. movie they put out? I really feel like this is extraordinarily loosely based on Mozart. Yeah, like the the true story part of it is, uh, yeah, there was a guy Mozart and there was a guy Salieri and they played piano. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> think there's, uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much more. Like obviously he died young. There are some, yeah, you know, characters around that are the same, but there's, it's so it's so loosely about this. Yeah, like I think I read that. Uh, the woman coming up who is, is apparent that he, you know, she fooled around with Mozart and Salieri was jealous of that. That never happened. It was actually Salieri who was with her as well, like in real life. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, th- I think let's just get that out of the way. We're not yeah. going to go on about differences now. This is a work of fiction about a true person. But you see, he's so he's so keen here to meet Mozart. Like he's he's heard about this this kid when he's growing up. Like he this guy is the best. And when he finally gets the chance to meet him now, as you know, as the court composer, it's I think it's great. Like you can see how he's trying to sneak around this party, and he's like he's watching the guards go in with all the food. And I love that shot, how the door shuts, and it's just just the, the shot of the door, and then the the door handle just slowly tries to open. Like uh-huh. I thought that was great. Yeah, that is good. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I did like seeing him, like, looking in the faces of all these people in this party, like, trying to see yes. <laughs> trying to see the talent, the raw talent of yeah. this, this master. Like, he's not just... The thing with this is he's not just great at what he does. He's not just the best at what he does. He is the embodiment of God in Salieri's yeah. eyes. And, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible seeing him walk around looking for the face of God virtually. It's... It's pretty funny. But seeing our introduction to Mozart here, uh, you know, chasing around this woman, pulling her out from under a couch, like really, I think I think, I think Salieri calls him a, a deviant later on, but he's someone who is silly. And in his mind, this, you know, this prim and proper Salieri just cannot get his head around that such beauty comes from this, this you know, immature uh, person. Yeah, it definitely shakes him up as the film goes along. Like when he starts to question, like obviously he questions his own belief system. Like how have you, yeah, have you given this raw talent to this, you know, almost abomination of a man, this Jeremy Piven looking bloke? Oh my God, yes, Jeremy Piven. It yep. looks like Jeremy Piven. I, after I watched the film, I went back and looked at my old review, and I'd written down. Uh, it was also nice to know that Ari Gold was a, a famous composer back in the day. Nice. That's that's uh, good from you, Hendo. Thank you. Thank you. That's why I said it. I want to get some, you know, some kudos for that. <laughs> some of those sweet, sweet letterbox likes. <laughs> Man, this guy is really good at speaking backwards, isn't he? I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy. I have my subtitles on. This is insane. I didn't have subtitles, but uh, this, there's, there's no way, there's no way anyone can speak like this. Not just that. There's no way. No offense to her, but let's say Mozart is this, you know, 
genius. There's no way that this woman, and I don't mean in a derogatory term, there's no way this woman would be able to understand the backward noises that he is making the way she does. Oh, I mean, it takes her a bit. You know, she says she says the backwards, she says what he says and then tries to say it backwards. I mean, I didn't, I thought it was okay. Okay. It's quite funny though, once the music, once he hears his music start to play, like nothing else matters to him here. Like he just ditches yeah. this this girl here without saying goodbye. He's just, he's got to go. Yeah, like, like, yeah, this guy is, you know, rough around the edges and he's, you know, kind of a man child, but he's devoted to his work and music and opera. He, he Like, he he's all about that. Nothing else matters to him. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But he does get chastised by this emperor. Is this guy an emperor as well? I was getting I confused. Thought, I thought this was an archbishop. Oh, okay. He does get chastised by this archbishop here. Uh, you know, he said he's been embarrassed, etc., etc., and he says Mozart needs to learn his place. Mozart is such a smug bastard, isn't he? <laughs> he, he, is. he knows that people are there for him, but he just can't. He doesn't like, like you said. He need, he needs he needs to know his place, but he doesn't care. I love how he leaves the door open just to hear all the cheers. Like, yep, you, you, you know, you hear this? This yeah. is not for you. This is for me. Yeah, respect me. But you got to realize his whole life that he would remember, he would be surrounded by people who are in awe of his abilities. How hard would it be to actually be humble once, yeah, like you've grown up being told how wonderful you are nonstop? Yeah, and you hear more of it obviously later on with the emperor and you know him telling him to change his change his songs up. Yeah, but I I I love this scene here where we see uh, old Salieri again, and he's describing the music he hears, and the Mm -hmm. way he describes it here, he talks about this pulse and delight and. He's just, he's filled with such longing. Uh, yeah, he, he does say it was like he was hearing the voice of God. Uh, it's it's so much, it's such a great performance from F. Murray Abraham, Abraham here. You see the passion that he has for music here and his God and religion. It's it's just, yeah, it's perfect here from him. Especially when you, you're also cutting in with young Salieri, how he's w- looking at the pages and he's he's just seeing the notes, but he can he can picture this in his mind. And obviously, there's a lot of this where they're describing the music, and and you hear it. You hear like they're what they're describing is actually being played out, and it and it works wonders throughout this film, especially with a, a scene later on. But right here, he's looking at the page, and he's almost in tears. He's like he's like so like in love with what he is looking at here. It is it is miraculous to him. Yeah, dead right there. They basically snag Mozart for themselves here off the Archbishop. Yeah, so we get Salieri. He He's so excited because Mozart coming. Mozart yes. is coming. And he writes this piece of music because he wants Mozart to walk into Salieri's music playing. And this whole scene is my... Excellent! All right. All right. This was one of those times where I was watching a movie and I wrote down, all right, possible excellent. I wrote down at least one more. But even though it is so early in this film... I just thought this scene was so funny, so so <laughs> funny, and seeing, you know, I just think it it does represent so much of uh, Salieri's character, how he is so proud and he spends, yeah, you know, he puts so much work into this piece, only to have this little shit Mozart come in, 
Firstly, know it from hearing it once without pay- without seemingly paying it any attention yeah. is able to play it and better it again and again and again and just embarrass Salieri in front of his. But he's but but Mozart's not do not not trying to embarrass him on purpose. Oh That's no, the no, thing. no 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 Ab- absolutely not absolutely not like Mozart is not um is not a villain here. It's just no. his character to to try and better this music. He's not doing it to upset Salieri. He's uh, he's ignorant. He's ignorant to what is going on around him and how, you know, socially he's perceived and socially how this impacts Salieri and his reputation to have this guy just come in and in a heartbeat just better what he's done. But- and just some of the facial expressions as well from Salieri when... You know, oh, yeah, I've made a little piece. He's got a big grin in his face and Mozart's like... Actually compose some variations on a melody of yours. Oh, really? Which one? Mio caro adonne. Well, I'm flattered. A funny little tune, but it yielded some good things. And the, dro- and the drop on his other... What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And seeing um, Jeffrey Jones here, just trying to impress... Like having him sight read, like sight reading, which is like uh, trying to play a piece you've never seen before, is so incredibly hard. It was absolutely my biggest weakness as a uh, pianist. It's so tough playing music you've never seen before. And seeing him try here and then, you know, just butchering, because he's not just embarrassing himself. And he doesn't realise either, but he's not just making himself look like a fool to Mozart. He's also poorly representing Salieri's work. Yeah, and they can't do anything about it, though. He's the emperor. He's got to, he can do what he wants. Yeah, exactly. But the the thing that really that really puts the cherry on top of this scene for me is where <laughs> you just you see you see Mozart playing and doing it better, and then you just see Salieri here, and then you smash cut to him in another setting, just looking furious. I loved it. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. I was like, "That is gold." Awesome. You know, I think this is where we have uh, Caterina Cavalieri come into the show here. Yes, yes. Uh, we sort of, see sort of a foil for Salieri to Mozart. I mean, Salieri just harbors so much lust for this woman. Mm. But you know, he's celibate. Can't do anything about it. But it doesn't mean he can't get a little jealous. But I love how Salieri here, he's trying to um, like have a go at Mozart, I think, and like talk him down and, you know, pick on how he looks. And then she's just like, oh, only only talent interests a woman of taste. And he's just like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> can't win. <laughs> this is where we said before how they, they have this, they have this play. And apparently, there's just there's too many notes in this, and you can you can see the offence that Mozart is taking here when the Empress like, yeah, just uh, just cut cut down the notes, like take the notes out, take some of the notes out, and I love his line where he's like, "Which few did you have in mind, Majesty?" Oh, like, he's <laughs> he's so rude. Like this Emperor though is so clueless; he doesn't realise that Mozart is picking on him. But I love I love how the Emperor reacts and bounces off the people around him. Like, he's so unsure of himself. He's always looking around to see what the others think and to get their approval. Yeah. It's But they're always going to they're always going to oh, agree course, with what he of says. Course. They're they're yeah. yes men and that's fine. That's their job. Like they're not yeah. going to tell the emperor that he's doing something wrong, but it's just so funny to see someone who is who has the ultimate power just be so unsure of themselves. Yeah, so we have uh I guess Mozart's future wife here, uh the the woman from the first scene he was in, uh, Constanzi? Stanzi? Stanzi. Stanzi. Calls him Stanzi. Calls her Stanzi throughout the film, so I've got Stanzi. Stanzi, yep. I've got wife. <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. 
<laughs> but we'll go with Stanzi. Stanzi. Sorry, Stanzi. That's better. Uh, you can clearly see that uh, Katarina is very annoyed that uh, Stanzi has showed up. So you can clearly see that something's happened between these two. Yeah, they have totally hooked up before. So shame on you, Mozart. That's right. So much so that he wants to get out of that dressing room as quick as possible because who knows what will happen if uh, Stanzi decides to come in. Yeah, but she does come in. <laughs> yeah, but he leaves immediately. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> And this is and this is where Salieri realizes this, and he starts talking about you know violent thoughts for Mozart. Like it's it's funny that that he really wanted to meet Mozart and work with him, and now he's and now he's actually just praying for him to leave. Yeah, he hates him. He yeah. really does resent him so much. But the Archbishop won't take him back. He's a little punk kid. Yeah, exactly. But the Emperor wants Mozart to train his his daughter. No, his niece. Oh, I thought it was daughter. No, his thirteen year old niece. Ah, well there you go. I like I like the bit where. <laughs> Salieri thinks he's asking him to train her. Yeah, and then when he mentions, yeah, what about Mozart? And he has to go, uh, maybe that th- that sounds like a little bit of favoritism. Maybe you should get everyone to submit. <laughs> submit, yeah. And that offends Mozart. Yeah, massively. Again, this cocky kid, he's like, I should just, I should just take it. Like I'm the best. Why should I have to submit my work? Yeah, but uh, Stanzi, uh, she's she knows how important this is for them. Because they have money troubles the whole time. The whole time they have no money because Mozart just lives so extravagantly. Yeah, with that ancient pool table. Yeah. You see that thing? Yeah. That was that's interesting. Right. Yeah. It's pretty small. Yeah, so Stanzi basically brings the samples to Salieri without Mozart knowing. And you can see, like, this is this is worse. Like, not worse. This is this is better than what he saw before uh, when he was playing. Like, he, he is just enthralled with what he is reading here. Like, he's actually tearing up. He cannot believe what he is looking at here. That yeah. this this kid, this guy who's such a shit, just can make such pure music. And and like they keep saying, there's no errors. He hasn't changed anything. This is just first go, he can do this. Yeah, and it's amazing. No corrections. He's got it perfectly formed, finished music in his mind. He just writes it down. It's insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. And again, the music he, uh, he's reading is playing over this. It's it's yeah. such a nice nice touch that they're doing this. And boy, like Salieri, he loves music. Like he he's like making orgasm faces at this point. Yeah, no, nah, he's this very is his pleasure. It is. I mean, it it one hundred percent is. But I don't know what like this. His response here to say, well, if you want your husband to get this job, you need to come and see me tonight. He's like, now not, this, and then and then saying, not to be vague, but this is my price. Yes. Now, this is part of the director's cut. The whole scene with her coming back? Yep. None of this was in the in the theatrical. Oh, really? Yeah, which I can't understand why, because this this, this scene needs to be here for like to get the tension later on as well with, yeah. with Stanzi and, and Sal. I was yeah, going to no, say, no. Is, there, is there any tension later on, or do they try and cut that out? But how no, would no, you no, cut no. that the ten- out? The tension's definitely there. Apparently, what happens here is that uh, he reads the the sheets, I think, and then just like kicks her out. Well, that's just stupid. But yeah, quite a shift for Salieri here, essentially blackmailing her to come back for sexual favors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he li- he's lived his life of celibacy, and you know he feels abandoned by his god. That rather than him create the, this divine piece of music he wants to, he's had the actual person show up and basically you know rub it in his face, and now he's looking to humiliate him. But he still yeah. he still doesn't like he's 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 still praying to God like. Like, like, did you think me. he would ever go through with this? No, I don't think. I don't think he ever planned to. And I'm, I think yeah. the question is, when he rejects and rejects her and tells her to leave, did he plan to do that, or did he like back out of what he was doing? Oh, and like, and 
you know, get uncomfortable and go, oh, leave, you need to leave? Or did he always have it in his mind to send her packing as that happens? I don't know, like his response um, when she takes her top off, he's very much like, it's like a, a reaction, like that cause, oh, okay, like you say, to ring the bell and have her taken away. So, I don't know, it is unclear what his intentions were here. Yeah, but this is this is the breaking point for Salieri. He, what's he throw his, his cross in the fire? He, I mean, ju- burning a Jesus statue, I think that's a pretty big deal. Absolutely. Vowing revenge against Mozart. Like, he's he is all about revenge now. He's horrible. He sets out he got, on this elaborate plan. Yeah, he tells the uh, tells people that Mozart molests women. Like, what the fuck? No, no, not women. Kids. Kids. Oh, young young women, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that this was also not in the original cut as well, this mentioning of the kids, which still doesn't work because in the- Oh, hang on. Also, the scene coming up where he plays for the dogs, that's not part of it either. Oh, okay. That was good. Yeah, I think I think just by you know the omission of these few scenes already that the director's cut is better than the but theatrical how did, cut. How would they explain Mozart's like lack of students, lack of money, if they don't have the reason that he's not getting hired know. is because Salieri has started a rumour that he's molest young girls or young women? I don't women. know. I don't know. Yeah, but Mozart, he, he's a very proud person here. Like, he gets really shitty when this- this uh, this other guy, I think his name is Schlumberg. He's trying to teach his daughter how to play, and then the dogs are going crazy. So, you know, essentially he ends up teaching the dogs how to be quiet during a song, and uh, he's not happy with that. No, he's not. He's better than that, and he knows it. Uh, but the rich folk don't. Yeah, there's a whole big, I guess, this little theme coming on here. So when he gets home, and his dad shows up at the door, but it's met with this really foreboding sound and this image like like he's a grim reaper like the, yeah. it's, it's this black silhouette behind you know in yep. front of a light yep. and that and obviously that comes back a lot throughout the rest of this film it does and it's the the image on the poster as well yeah and it's basically the image in the uh the play that he writes after his dad dies yeah pretty awkward though if the dad's there the house is a mess you know his wife's in bed i don't know what time it's meant to be but Mozart is clearly embarrassed with the state of the place. Yeah. Well, they talk. They also talk about the financial troubles here. Like they don't have a maid. Doesn't he? Doesn't have any pupils. He tries to cover it. He's like, ah, oh, why do I want to teach people? I just want to play. It's like, mm. no, you, you gotta, you gotta teach to make money. Yeah. So Mozart is. He thinks that his strict father will enjoy this masquerade party they go to. Oh, did, mm. this this is the first time they mention that they're having a kid, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. She's expecting. Yeah. Yeah. Just out of the blue. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, I think I read that Mozart had multiple kids, but we only ever see the one here. Pity that they're talking about going to a party as well. Like, we don't have the money for this, you idiot. Yeah, oh, well, they go. Right, yep. they get dressed up. Really funny moment where they're watching something and Mozart's so funny, he's doing his laugh. He looks up at his dad yep. <laughs> and his dad's got this angry mask face looking at him. And then he turns around and you realise that it's that happy face. And it's like, oh, so he was, that's just the back of his face. Then he pulls the mask down and he's got the angry face in real life. It was so funny. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Mozart's just showing off here when he's playing stuff upside down, backwards and that. He's having a yeah. good time. So even th- I think this here is probably the only time when he kind of has a little dig at Salieri. When he when Sa- when Salieri's like, play Salieri. And, yeah. you know, he, you know, he imitates him, he... You know, lifts the pants up and all that. This is the only time he's ever disrespectful towards Salieri. What did Salieri think was going to happen? Like, he's making fun of everyone and he yells out his own name. Like, you're setting yourself Sal- up. He's It's a pride thing. He wants to, he wants him to say, oh, yeah, he, he's good. Let's let's play some of his good work. But no, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. Now, I know, I know that he's wearing 
a small mask. But surely you could see that that was Salieri. He does this several times as well throughout the movie, where Mozart just has no idea that this is Salieri. Especially the multiple times that he's watching Mozart's uh, operas as though... Like, he says, like, he sees everyone, but he was doing it, like, in secret. Yeah. It's like, he sits in the same spot by himself. How do you not see him every time? Is it just because Mozart is so self-involved that he doesn't doesn't think of anyone else around him? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and here we've got old Salieri. He's basically telling him that God was mocking him through Mozart. What did you make of this maid here? Did you recognize her straight away? Yeah, Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City. Yeah, very young. 17. She gives a good performance. She's very She's scared. Good. Yeah. Yes. Pretty awkward for Mozart, for his dad and his wife to be having a massive fight in the middle of the, the house. Yeah, it's not good for anyone. Well, it turns out Salieri hired the the uh, maid here to spy on them. Devious bastard. Yes, yes. He's he has no limits on him. Oh, that's on not what even he will worst. do. She yeah. lets him in the house to look at his work. Yeah. I'm surprised he never tried to pass off Mozart's work as his own. I mean, that's. I think that's taking it too far because then Mozart knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Like, at least yeah. this way, he's still inconspicuous to him. Yeah. Certainly sus, though, when he gets called in and he's told that he can't do, you know, the band play Figaro. Like, how the hell did anyone find out about that? That's when you kick the mate out. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, this is a pretty good scene. Yeah, I honestly thought that he was going to get it shut down. Like, the Emperor was going to not have a bar of it. But he convinces him. Yeah, he does. I think the Emperor appreciates Mozart's passion and honesty. Like, no one talks to the Emperor this way. I think the Emperor likes it. And again, Salieri is playing both sides here. He's telling his mates, like, yeah, just go just go be part of it. Uh, you know, they got the director guy who tears the scenes out and he goes back to Salieri and he's like, I'll speak to the Emperor. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> yeah, but then, out, like, through no organisation of his own, the Emperor comes in and has all the stuff added back in and Mozart's like, oh, thank you, Salieri. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, sure, sure, no worries. Uh, okay. And again, nice cut straight into the actual opera. And again, you get that line, the Salieri's like, and a miracle. And it's the emperor yawning. (laughs) That's good. The way they were saying like one yawn equals, you know, a quiet night, two is something, and then three is it will never be played again. (laughs) Yeah. He ends up getting nine performances out of it. Yeah. And what I I love about uh, these two and their relationship is that Salieri genuinely thinks that Mozart is magnificent. Like he is the best composer he's ever seen. And yep. he admires all of his work, but he still wants to destroy him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he loves the work, but hates the man. Yeah. But it's not even so, like, it's not just that he hates the man. He hates the idea of the man as well. Like, it's not just Mozart. It's God as well that's doing it to him. No, because he wouldn't hate if this guy was more like him. He hates that God has given these gifts to this character. Yeah, but it's also God's fault as well. It's equal, it's equal parts God and equal parts Mozart. Yeah. Oh, I did say before that uh, Mozart does one piece where he, he kind of mocks Salieri. He definitely does it here as well. When Salieri's playing his opera and Mozart comes down and, and says a couple of things like, I never knew that the music like that was possible. You flatter me. No, no. One hears such sounds and what can one say but Salieri. Like, he's such a yeah. condescending jackass. Definitely backhanded insults there. Yeah, but Salieri doesn't think that he's being, like, an idiot here, like a jackass here. He, t- he takes it as compliments. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, because he wants to believe that Mozart likes That's his true. work. That's true. That's the yeah. only reason. Like, Salieri is a very shrewd and intelligent man. 
He he should know that he's being mocked here, but he doesn't because he doesn't want to. Mozart's father has passed away, and uh, you can see his deterioration start basically from here. And he makes this opera about his father, and, so, and you know, it's about him, his relationship with his father here. And you can see he's not wearing any of those stupid wigs anymore. Like They're those, gone. Yeah, those wigs are outrageous. <laughs> yes, they are. Even just... Looking at the the I guess the personality of Mozart, like he's you know he's a bit out there, he's a muck around kind of guy. His wigs were much more crazier than the other ones, which were much more formal. Like he's got big old buffy pink. white wigs with some pink in it, and yeah, like he, yeah. he plays to it. It's flamboyant, yes. And Sal's really playing uh, into this dead father thing as he dresses up in you know, the same mask that his dad wore, and you know. Basically coming off as like this this uh, bringer of death to tell him to do this death mass because for, for all the people who never got one and this is so like he's so pushing like so leaning into you know the the issues he had with his father it's, it's it sends Mozart in a spiral it's sick he knows yeah. what he's doing exactly and even when you cut back to old Salieri he's he's so he's taking so much pleasure in talking about this master plan to kill Mozart. And you got the music cutting when he talks about how to do it. it uh, that was that was the best when he's talking about uh, you know my plan was ingenious and I yeah. you know, I'm going to kill Mozart and then the music stops. He's like, but how do I do that? <laughs> like, just, <laughs> it's like what a what a record scratch. Yeah, yeah, because he wants to do it. He just he doesn't know how to how to yeah commit a murder basically. Yeah. So we have this this play here. Uh, I th- I feel like I think this was the first point where I started to notice this runtime. Yeah, I noticed it in the 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 first like you know the first opera we see Mozart do after his father's death. Uh, that opera went on way too long, uh, and this bit here, I agree. This stuff is silly and not enjoyable to watch this this play here. But I think the one with the first one after his father's passing, at least that has some significance to how hey, he's feeling. It does. Yeah. It just yeah. goes on too long. Yeah, fair enough. But this one doesn't really accomplish anything. Yeah. Yeah. So he's offered a you know a new play to do here, and Stonzi, she's uh she's put the she's put the shoes on. She's uh nope. You're going to give us the money right now. Yeah, like, I get where she's coming from, but she yeah, she could have ruined any chance he had of making any earnings here. Like, she's being super rude. She is, and you can feel that all this pressure is mounting on Mozart. To, he's already he's already trying to do this play for the, you know, the mask, the evil masked man, and yeah. now he's getting pressured to do this as well. Like, he's 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 spreading thin here. Like, he he's trying to go to everyone to, to loan money, and- even like he goes to Salieri for some money, and he's like, "Well, no, I can give, like, I can uh, pass you on to like Schlumberg. Like he goes to Schlumberg to uh, borrow some money, but he goes in and he's so drunk and he's deteriorated. Mm. He just gets rejected immediately. Yeah, yeah, he's got no chance. Uh, do you know Simon Callow from anything? Yeah, I, uh, the one thing I remember him from was the the Ace Ventura sequel. Okay, he's one of the main characters in Four Weddings and a Funeral. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Like he's a very memorable character in that film. Oh, fair enough. Now you can see that, like I think I mentioned that the the music plays obviously a big part in this film in regards to setting the tone for different parts of uh, the movie as it goes along. Here, it's really setting in like madness, like deep madness for Mozart here. Like the music, like when he's writing all of his his work here, and the music is blaring. It is mm. blaring, and and it is great. And you got Stonzi yelling at him, like you can hear the knock on the door, and she is yep. yelling at him. And you think that it's music playing? Yeah. <laughs> Did you? 
I, 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 that's what it seemed like. Like she's trying Playing to yell on over it. They don't yeah, have that's what CD I mean. players. That's, a, that's what I mean. I know that's <laughs> what I mean. But she's yelling like she's yelling over the music, mm. and then the music cuts, and it was all in his head. Like he's so invested in what he was writing, he had blocked everything else out. That's awesome. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, but he thinks it's this masked man, you know, at the door. Yeah, and uh, no, it's it's this Simon Callow character, and he's so angry because he's like, "All right, well, what have you written for me? I've got all these people lined up to start rehearsing and start doing the work." And he's like, "Well, it's finished, but I haven't written any of it down." And it's like, "Oh, oh, oh no, <laughs> no, you can't do that." <laughs> he he's not happy. <laughs> but no, the maid quits. She's she's scared of Mozart. He's he's going down a deep deep spiral here. Yeah. Salieri makes another visit here as the the masked man. You, man, Mozart is so scared of this guy. Like the fear you see in his face. Because every time the door knocks, he thinks it's him and he goes to hide. Yeah. 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 Gives him another two weeks though. And you see Stonzi's a bit worried about him, but that doesn't stop him from, you know, sneaking out and getting on the piss. Yeah. Like, not good. You know, no. don't do that. He comes he comes back and yeah, Stonzi and his kid are gone. Then we get this weird scene with the mother-in-law. Who starts berating him and he's watching her and he's like watching her mouth and all of a sudden her shrillness turns into like opera notes. Yeah, because that's all he's thinking about. <laughs> like he's just so obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah. He's he's struggling to keep it all together here. Yeah, he's he's conducting this play here and he like he look he looks like absolute shit. Like he's he's tired, he's exhausted, he's probably drunk, he's just beaten down. He passes out in the middle of it. Like this guy is just deteriorated beyond belief. Yeah, it's 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 you know I've, kudos to Salieri though for actually revealing that he was there. Yeah, you know, like he could have very easily just left him, but no, he he grabs him and takes control of the situation. Yeah, he takes him home, and like Mozart is incredibly genuine here. Like he thanks him for being there. Like he's he's the only friend he's got. Like no one else wants a bar of him, but he's here. Like you know, thank you for seeing my play. Like you you're a true friend. Like Salieri's like, just imagine the the thought going through his mind, like, oh, I'm I'm the worst. Yeah, but I, I don't really think he cares. Like he knows how he feels uh, towards Mozart, so I don't think he's beating himself up too much about it at this point. But we get more knocks at the door, and Mozart sort of says to Salieri, right, it's this masked guy. Can you go see him? I need money. And of course, it's it's not that guy because that guy's him. It's Simon Cowell. He yeah. gives him he gives him some Simon Cowell. Did you just say Simon Cowell? I did say Simon Cowell. <laughs> <laughs> Simon Callow, uh, who gives him money from the door. And he comes back and Salieri passes it off as, "Yeah, I took money from the masked man. <laughs> How good am yeah. I?" And you get another hundred if you do it by tomorrow. Like, geez, more pressure. Yeah. He's such a sneaky bastard, I love it. But this is the scene where Salieri is writing down what Mozart is telling him to. This is a phenomenal scene. Yeah, the, again, like the music that's playing as he's describing and writing it. Like you see that Salieri is he's overwhelmed by what Mozart is doing because this is not how he's used to to writing like music, I guess. Like Mozart just sitting in his bed like, yeah, do it like this, do it like... And he starts mentioning all the different songs and... Uh, sorry, the different instruments and the tempo... But you see, when Mozart really pushes it uh, with the music coming back in and uh, each beat he throws with his fists as the music's playing, yeah. and you see like the, the light bulb in Salieri's head go off. Like he, he keeps writing while Mozart is like essentially playing it for us. And uh, it, goes, it goes on for a bit here as he's, as he's mentioning every single section of the song and uh, each individual instrument. And when he finally is done with it and he shows it to Mozart – and when he looks at it and you, and all the, the different pieces of music come, come together, together yeah, yeah. to a full symphony, I mean, it works so well, which is why it's my... Excellent! 
Yeah, this was this was nearly mine. It is it is a great scene. Uh, I think it's musically it's stunning. Performances are great. Yeah, it's a good scene. So you mentioned F. Murray Abraham before. Like he was, he's. Do you think he's? Do you think he deserved the acting best actor for this? I mean, having not seen any of the other uh, performances of that year that I can think of. I mean, of- you've seen Tom Holche. Ooh. This this was the last film to have uh, two best actor nominations for the same film. Uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think he is. He carries it more. Like Mozart is more silly. Yeah, Mozart doesn't have as many layers to his character. Where we get a much more complicated performance from F. Murray Abraham compared to Tom Holche. And you also have the the two different Salieri's here. Like you got the the young Salieri who's you know somewhat conflicted at certain points, and then you got old man Salieri who's just embracing everything he's done like yeah I loved everything like uh, you know everything I did was great and I, I meant everything yeah yeah uh, it, yeah F. Murray Abraham's good but we get Stormzy Stormza what's Stormza? her name Stormshi Stormzy whatever her name is Stormzy <laughs> uh, she comes home and yeah, she's, she's not the- happy to see Sal there no she's she's very unhappy to see him there and then it, you know I remembered oh yeah the last time they saw each other Things didn't go very very well for her. That's right. I I couldn't remember what happened here. I th- I thought she's gonna like tear up the music. Yeah, me too. I thought that like, is there a fireplace in this room that she's gonna yeah. throw it in? Like, what's happening here? She just locks it away. Yeah, okay. Because she knows yeah. it's important, but you know, it uh, needs to go away for a little while. Let let uh, Mozart rest. But no, he's uh he's dead. Yeah, just oh, flat oh. out dies. <laughs> wow. I actually I actually went back to see. Do we actually see him move in the bed? And yeah, like he just before as she's taking the the pages off him, like you've had enough. You've had enough. You see him. I think at that point you see him like take his last breath. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Yep. There's a the funeral here in the pouring rain, all dressed in black. The the maid is like the crying the most out of everyone here like why ah she's young she's emotional oh and then the kicker here that the coffin is not even for him they just slide the body out into a pile cover it in lime move on yeah i mean he's got no money like who's paying for this yeah yeah fair enough we never actually find out what happens to the music piece either i did read that mozart's wife did uh get rid of a lot of his his work it's interesting that Throughout this whole thing, we've heard that Salieri was like, yeah, I murdered Mozart. So you're kind of waiting for him to, like, stick him with a knife. Yeah. 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 Which, it's much better this way. Yeah, that he kind of, you know, deteriorated him into nothing by, you know, like, playing with him, you know, psychologically. Yeah. And even still, when he, like, as old man Salieri, he's still blaming God for taking Mozart away from him because it's keeping him alive to be tortured. Like it's yeah. all about it's all about Salieri. That's yeah. ah, that's thirty two years of guilt. You know, thirty two years of torture. His his music grows fainter. No one plays it anymore. Like oh, poor me. Come on. Yeah, it's all about him still. Like that's that's that vainness that we've had from not only Mozart but from Salieri as well. Yeah, yeah. And much like you, he's the uh, the champion of mediocrity. <laughs> I love the the priest's reaction where he's he's just speechless. Like oh, yeah, he's he can't so say anything. Blown away by this story. Stunned. But even as he leaves here, he's so upbeat. He's like, "I'll do the absolving. I'll, I'll, I'll be the the champion of mediocrity here." And as he's going through, you know, the crazy ward here, all these people are mediocrity. And he's like, "I absolve you. I absolve you." Like he's just, you know, not a care. Like he's he's like he's absolved himself of all this. Like, yeah, I've, I've confessed. I'm I'm fine. I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah. Spot on. And that's it for Amadeus. Any last words? 
All right, Dean. I'll, I'll go first for a change here. You know, it's it's weird that this uh, this three how this three hour long period piece biography set to classical music was something I enjoyed so much. Yet uh, here we are. I mean, there's so much going right for this movie. The performances by our two leads, in particular, F. Murray Abraham, I mean, they're wonderful and, and they contrast each other so well. Like one is a, a bratty, entitled man-child who is dedicated to his craft that he works himself into the grave and the other is a jealous, vengeful, also entitled composer who whose shade is directed not necessarily at the man himself, but God for not giving him the gift that he thinks he rightfully deserves. I think the classical music is used wonderfully to convey the correct tones throughout the film, whether it's sadness, happiness, or even jealousy and madness. It gives you another dimension into the mindset of our characters. The cinematography is lovely. Not sure how it lost the Oscar for that one. I'd have to watch The Killing Fields, I guess, to understand that, as well as the editing. I think that's pretty great too. There's some smart transitions that are accompanied by the great music again, as we see the actions of Salieri and Mozart bringing the music out of their minds and into our ears. The runtime does become an issue though, and there are a couple of scenes that bog the film down as it goes along, several plays that really outstay their welcome. But aside from that, I think it's a great film and it gets four stars for me. Very good. Uh, For me, I went and looked at what I had Amadeus rated on Letterboxd and I had it at two stars. What? Maybe a bit harsh there for two stars. Uh, Upon a rewatch... I did definitely appreciate a lot more about it. The performances, as we've said, are really, really strong. The set design, it's great. Like, oh, it really does put you in that time really, really well. The music's really good, but as you say, the runtime is definitely an issue. Uh, And it's not, I want to be clear, it's not that the runtime is an issue because it's so long. It's an issue because it feels so long. Like, this movie does feel long. The pacing is too slow in some points in particular towards the you know back third of the film the operas the plays they go on for too long i I don't know why we needed to see so much of so many of these plays i do love the characters though because the the strength of this film is in the relationship between mozart and silieri uh i i'm giving it three and a half stars okay fair enough that's a big bump up from the two stars. Rightfully so. Yeah. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is Amadeus going to sit on your rankings? All right, for Amadeus, so let's look. Let's start at the top of my three and a half star films here because there's not many at all. So we start with Rebecca and I do think Rebecca is better than Amadeus. Then we look at It's a Wonderful Life and I think It's a Wonderful Life is better than Amadeus. Then we get to Hachi, and I do think Hachi is better than Amadeus. Then we get to Paths of Glory, and that's where it'll stop. So I'm going to put Amadeus right underneath old Hachi here at the new number 56. Uh, underneath Hachi. What the fuck? <laughs> where do you put it, Hendo? All right, this is a this is a higher tier four star for me, so I'm going to start at the top of my four, t- four stars. And let's go against The Thing. And I think that The Thing is better than Amadeus. And then we're up against a, a more recent review here, In the Mood for Love. As re- it's really close. It's really close for these two. I think In the Mood pips it just... I think that runtime real, just, just drops it below In the Mood for Love for me. It's better than The Wolf of Wall Street for me. So I am going to put Amadeus as my new number 45. Very nice. All right, before we continue, we'd just like to say this show is brought to you by our awesome patrons who've been supporting the show for over two years now. And Dean, I, I don't think I'm over-exaggerating here when I say that our patrons are some of the greatest people in the world. 
Nah, they're fantastic. They keep us going through these uh, these times. And uh, no, we have nothing but admiration for all of you. Yes, we do have another weekly patron-only podcast we release. We've got over 100 episodes over there too, including different film series, such as the Harry Potter series, for example. We've also got different director series and specific films requested by our patrons. And we are about to start a string of another patron requested reviews. And our first one is from our patron, Jay, and he has selected Clerks 2, Dean. Yes, Clerks 2, the follow-up to one of your favourite movies, Clerks 1, which you never bothered to see. That was worded very weird. And yet, the information came across perfectly. It did. I actually understood it. (laughs) So, if you'd like to support the show, we have several different tier levels with varying rewards and benefits from as little as a dollar a month. Just head over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney. All right, mate, let's get to... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Where we have our awesome patrons put in some reviews for the films that we break down. All right, first one here from Nerd Revert. Surprisingly enough, it doesn't feel like you sat through a two-hour 40 film. No, we sat through a a three-hour one. From the POV the story is told from, the costumes, set designs, and performances, it's so much better than what I remember being shown in music class way back when. I'd be shocked if the poll doesn't say this is a top 250 film. Four and a half for Amadeus. Big review there, Nerd Revert. But they don't get bigger than... Let's see what Brother Shane has to say this week. Once upon a time, many years ago, in the 1980s, F. Murray Abraham was an old man. (laughs) Several centuries before that, he was a middle-aged man who frequented the King's Court to observe, admire, and learn from the eccentric musical genius Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. By genius, I mean in what might have been a musical Stone Age, Wolfgang was able to compose various knee-slapping melodies. Wow, Shane. Come on. By eccentric, I mean he drinks too much wine and has a very annoying laugh. Now, I haven't seen too many films featuring Mozart prior to this, but I will say that whatever esteem that was built up about the man, for example, in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Amadeus has bulldozed his name so far into the earth that if I never see or hear anything Mozart-related in another film, I will die a happy man. Wow! After just sitting through what perhaps would be the longest three hours of my life, I find myself speechless as to the vastness of the sheer insufferable boredom I have had to endure. I hated how everyone dressed. I hated their pompous, self-gratifying fishbowl existence. I hated how they hardly ever seemed to go outside or encounter conflict in any way. Terrible movie. Audiences suck. One and a half stars. God. Whew. Whew. Whack. Regardless of what, what the results are, the, the uh, Shane's reviews are always enjoyable. I mean, that was a well-written review, Shane. <laughs> all right, let's take a look at the poll to see if you guys think, is this one of the top 250 films of all time? What do you reckon, Dean? I'm going to say yes. 60.4% say yes. Ah. That puts it at number 25 above Inception and below The Matrix. Gee, i got to say, that's higher than I expected. All right, mate, let's get to... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite film with a title as a character from the film? Now, let's start over on Twitter. First one here from Sean, James White. Have you heard of James White? No. Have you? I I vaguely heard of it. Uh, Maybe I saw a review for it. I think it was uh, maybe a couple of years ago. Obviously, I haven't seen it. Self Shoots from the Hip podcast says Kill Bill, Volume 2. Now, I think, I don't know how you've gone, but I I went super strict on uh, my criteria for this, and uh, I'm just going flat out names. No nicknames, no extra words. 
Uh, obviously, everyone else can have their own, you know, opinions, but uh, Kill yeah. Bill will not be on my list. No, nah, we we did decide uh, a strict set of guidelines for us because uh, I think I was surprised at least how many movies there are that feature characters' names. So we did narrow it down. It must only for us again. You guys do what you want, but for us, must only be the name. Uh, no the or titles. Or nicknames, so no Scarface for us, no Godfather for us, etc., mm. etc. Rob McCarthy says, get Carter, the Michael Caine version, not the Sylvester Stallone version. Carnivorous Couch says, Barry Lyndon. Nice. Zoe says, it's obviously Billy Elliot. Sparky on Ice says, does the thing count? I mean, if you want it to count, go for it. Same with Sam the Lion. Does Jaws count? I mean, if, if you think not. it does, <laughs> if you think it does... Uh, Rogue Time Lord 1 says Lilo and Stitch. Ooh, a double there. Sim City has gone with John Wick. Skylar Luttrell says Mother. Ah, Mother. Hobbs has said Deadpool. Tony says Rocky. Yeah, there's so many films. Justin Herring goes with Ladybird. Walter M says Donnie Darko. Nice. John Arthur Bell says Goldfinger. Also, best line, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Okay. Uh, Mashley at the movies says Amadeus. Ah, Kelsey has gone with Matilda. Hmm. Benjamin French has gone with Andre Rublev. That could be on your list eventually, Dean, when we watch the film. Could it, Hendo? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Haven't seen it. Arthur Ilsley says Lincoln. Robin Wright says Amelie. All right. One Shot says underrated actioner from Cruise Macquarie prior to their Mission Impossible collabs, Jack Reacher. Armando Roque says Aaron Brockovich. JD at the In Session Film Podcast says Locke. Chris Wyatt says Carrie. Mr. Gross says, honestly, Jojo Rabbit. Interesting. Uh, Astro Lass says Michael Clayton. I haven't seen Michael Clayton. Have you? Mm, no. I used to have it on DVD or some sort of version, but nah, it just looks so boring. Fair enough. Jimmy Two Times says Donnie Brasco. Aaron says Jackie Brown. Not bad. Pretty much had no crossovers so far from what I've picked here, but last one here on Twitter from Stranger Demi's. Godzilla. Interesting. Gone with, a, gone with a creature there. All right, let's take a look over on our Facebook listener discussion group. Get on over there and join up. We have heaps of good movie conversations going on over there. It also gives you a chance to win some sweet, sweet merch. John Johnson says the outlaw Josie Wales. Yes, he has called that multiple times in the movie. Other than that, Edward comes to mind. Mark Harris says Deadpool. There's a crossover. There you go. Talon Crichton says John Wick is my favorite. And, of course, got to throw in some honourable mentions to Harry Brown, Jackie Brown, and Donnie Darko. All right. Now, looking over on our Patreon page from the Rough House podcast, Aladdin. Good pick. David Powell says, okay, even though I reckon you'll have Rocky, I can't not pick Logan. So, there you go. One single answer from me. Finally, David. <laughs> uh, Nerdrovert says, since Will Hunting's first name isn't good, the first one that comes to mind was Paddington. Ooh, Nice. Brother Shane, this is the one I thought he was going to pick. Bean. Isn't that technically called Bean the movie? Uh, maybe. He's disqualified. <laughs> Hayden Gerloff says Happy Gilmore. Oh, nice. Jacob Bennett says Dr. Strangelove. Chris Beardsell says Jackie Brown. And our last one here on Patreon from Ben Mulverhill, Logan. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for putting in a response. And I do mean everyone because we got a absolute ton over on Twitter as well. Like, that was... That was insane. It blew up, Hendo. It did. <laughs> we were almost trending. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dean, let's get to our top five movies with a title as a character of the film. 
And let's start off with you as usual, Dean. What is your number five? Superman. Superman, hey? All right. My number five, Hook. Nice. Uh, my number four is Iron Man. Okay. My number four is Hamilton. I knew it. I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to do what? it. What? <laughs> um... Okay, time for a quick on-the-fly readjusting <laughs> of my list. Dean just lost his mind. Superman has been kicked out. <laughs> number five is now Iron Man. Number three, sorry, number four is now Hook. Number <laughs> three is Batman, the 89 version. Fair enough. My number three is Creed. Okay, my number two, and definitely not my number one, is Donnie Darko. <laughs> a you forgot your number one, you idiot. <laughs> my number two is Wally. Okay, my number one, because I didn't forget it at all, is Hamilton. And my number one, sorry, David Powell, you should have gone with your first pick. It is Rocky. Very nice. I mean, it's a terrible pick, but I expect it from you. And once again, we have a week where no one picked either of our number ones. So no competition winner this week, but better luck next time, guys. Can't believe I forgot Hamilton. Oh, let's throw, I want to throw two honourable mentions to uh, two films I didn't see on the list. They are Chopper and Senna. Okay. Did you have any that just missed the cut? I did, but they've all been mentioned. Uh, Superman, bit stiff to miss out. <laughs> <laughs> And if you're interested in getting your own piece of Movie Journey Sweet Sweet merch, we do have our own shop over on Public. Just go and pick up a t-shirt, a hoodie, a coffee mug. Plenty over there. We'll leave a link in the show notes as well. There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin! All right, Dean, we're into the final eight of our Tournament of Awfulness. That's what I've been calling it over on Twitter. We have eight absolutely horrible films uh, battling against each other here to see which film we're going to be breaking down on our three-year anniversary coming up in December. Let's take a look at those results so far. First match here is Cats against Battlefield Earth. This was this was a big one, I reckon. This could have been the grand final, in all honesty. And 54.3% goes to Battlefield Earth. That is a big loss for you personally, Hendo. Yes, it means I have to watch Cats and another shit film as well. <laughs> I'm looking forward to your Cats review coming soon. Uh, next up, we have Dumb and Dumberer up against Son of the Mask. And it is Dumb and Dumberer, 55%. That's exactly how we'll be feeling if we have to watch that film. Next match here is the 2006 version of The Wicker Man against Catwoman. And Catwoman continues its hot streak here. 52% takes out poor Nick Cage. I wouldn't mind Catwoman winning this. I haven't seen it. I think it'd be funny. Well, it's got a one in four chance now. And lastly here, we have Jaws 3D up against The Room. And would you believe it? 51% goes to The Room. That must have been a little bit of a surge at the end there because last time I checked, it was down 49%. So well onto The Room there. So we have our final four set here. And the matches are Battlefield Earth against Dumb and Dumberer. And Catwoman up against The Room. Oh, why did we why did we choose to do this? I don't want to watch any of these things. I mean, I would happily do Catwoman or Dumb and Dumberer. You've seen the other two though, haven't you? I've seen Dumb and Dumberer. Oh, have you? I think I have, and I don't think I was that down on it. <laughs> don't say that. Now they're not going to pick it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's next? All right, Dean, obviously Pod V Pod 43 is coming up next week, but after that, it is your turn to pick a film. So what are you going to go with this time, mate? All right, I'm going to go I'm going to go with a film I haven't seen before. Okay. It's foreign. 
All right. And it's at number 127. Any quick stabs, Hendo? Ikaru. Close. It's Rashomon. Whoa, there we go. Rashomon. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that uh, five years ago. Don't remember too much about it, so it could basically be a first-time watch for me too. Nice. Excellent. All right. So next week, like we said, is Pod v Pod 43. And we have another in-session film battle, but it's not JD and Brendan. No, it's Jay and Ryan. They're back for a rematch. Awesome. Can't wait to get them back on, mate. Yeah, me too. So thank you very much, everyone, for checking out this episode. And we will see you next week for Pod v Pod 43. Bye.